Samuel chapter 23. We're going to read the whole of that chapter. So 1 Samuel chapter 23. This is the word of the Lord. Then they told David, saying, Look, The Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? And David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, Go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. And David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down, as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver you. So David and his men, about six hundred, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. Then it was told... Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, so he halted the expedition. And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw that Saul had come come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods And strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel. I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds in the woods? In the hills of Hakalah, which is on the south of Jeshikon, or Jeshimon. Now, therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to uh, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, "Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is, and who has seen him there." For I am told he is very crafty. See, therefore, 
and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you. And it shall be, if he is in the land, that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. And David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plain of the south of Jeshimon. Then Saul and his men went to seek him. They told David. Therefore he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Then Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men went on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. But a messenger came, for Saul, came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David, and he went against the Philistines. So they called that place the Rock of Escape. Then David went up from there and dwelt in strongholds at En Gedi. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to study your word now, we pray that you would speak to us richly through it. We pray that each one of us might be moved by your spirit to grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We pray that this might be true for each one of us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said in the children's talk and as I've titled the sermon, we see here a close call. It's a very, very close call, a very, very tense conclusion to this chapter. And as we consider the close call, as we saw in the children's talk, it's something that all of us here, I'm sure, have experienced with them. Those times where we come incredibly close to danger and ruin. Those times where we leave a situation, it's not till we get out of that dangerous situation that we realise just how much adrenaline has been flooding our system. It's how much our heart has been pumping. And we realise that was full on. That was scary. Could have been the end. Sometimes those moments are completely random like that that rock thrown by the mower. Sometimes, like what we read about today, there are people who, who act with malicious intent, making the odds of survival unfathomably low. This is a chapter with a... To say it's a close call doesn't quite grasp the danger that David was facing. We deal with a situation in this text where not only we see danger we see once more the response that christians are to have to those in distress we see as we saw last week with saul killing the priests the the vindictiveness and the hatred of those who do not love god towards those who god does love and towards god himself we see so much in this passage today there's a lot we could say about it uh, the struggle is finding the right things to say about it. Our three points this morning are, firstly, we're going to see in the first 13 verses that there is direction from God. Uh, secondly, in verses 14 to 18, we see strength from God. And then in verses 19 to 29, we see the provision from God. So to begin with, we, we look at this idea of, of David finding direction from God. As we begin this chapter, we see 
an interesting dynamic, to put it mildly, within the life of Israel at this time. It's a dynamic which is both uplifting and concerning at the same time. And it depends on which side of the coin we're looking at to see whether we're seeing it as uplifting or concerning. That might be an unusual statement to make. But what I mean by that is if we look at this situation, we see once more primarily David in this chapter. But again, Saul and David present themselves as as counterpoints within this chapter. And we see the concern first when we look at Saul. The uplifting part is when we look at David. But let's briefly look at the concern. Verses 1 and 7. might seem innocuous here. Something, phrases that we've read before is that people come and they tell David or people come and they tell Saul something that's happening within the land of Israel. Now, it's something we've seen a whole heap of, of times. Dale Ralph Davis describes this as evidence of what we would describe today as David and Saul both having effective intelligence networks within the land of Israel. They have people who know what's going on in the land. They have people who accurately report that to them and they respond in turn to that information. They know what's happening in Israel. Now, this is hard to believe kids pre-internet and pre-phones, pre-any of those things. They have as as close to real-time situational updates as you could expect to get. They know what's happening in Israel. Now, the reason that's concerning for Saul is that Saul is the king. Saul is a king with an an effective intelligence network not going to Keilah. Now, I will just say quickly, if I say Keith instead of Keilah, my computer kept correcting Keilah in my notes to be Keith. I've tried to catch it. I might slip up. I do apologise for that. But, but Saul hears that these things are happening in Keilah and, and he just doesn't go. Now, I'm leaving the concern part there. The author doesn't emphasise it. But once more, it's helpful for us to see these counterpoints between Saul and David in the text. The author doesn't spend much ink on it whatsoever. But it's worth noting. Now, David, of course, works as a positive, as the, the uplifting side of this within the life of Israel at this time. David is told in verse 1 that there's trouble with the Philistines going down again. Now, David's fought them time and time again. He's been successful against them. And he hears that the Philistines are here. It's almost old hat for him. He wants to go and fight them. This time it's happening in Keilah, a place where we haven't been to in 1 Samuel yet. There's a very, very real threat. We read in verse 1, it's a brief message given to David. But the people of Keilah are fighting against the Philistines and they're being robbed by the Philistines. There is physical, there is financial distress going on within this town. It, it, it's not something we turn our noses up at. There is something very real taking place. So David gets this news and we know that he's a man of war. We know he's a man of action. He's a warrior. He's courageous. He wants to do something. He wants to protect God's people in this place from these pagan invaders. It is a man who is also spiritually wise. He is a man who is spiritually wise. He wants to act. He has a desire to act. And while it might not seem like acting to ask God something first, that is the first action that he takes. This is not apathy from David. This is a wonderfully encouraging reaction from him. He goes, 
and he inquires of the Lord before rushing off and doing anything on his own. That is something we see a few times in these 13 verses. We see it at the start. We see it when David hears that Saul is coming against him. Rather than rushing out of the town and protecting himself, he comes to God. That is a great lesson for each one of us. Where no matter what we are facing, no matter what decision we have to make, whether it's a big decision, whether it's a small decision, come to God. Ask God. Seek his wisdom. David does that. And God tells David, go ahead with the attack. Go and fight the Philistines. David gets that first response and he's encouraged. He tells men, we're going to go and fight these guys. Get ready, guys. But the men are a little bit skittish. They're not quite sure they're safe where they currently are. Why would they go and expose themselves, let alone expose themselves to a battle? So David goes once more to God. And once more, the affirmative response is given, go down to Keilah. Go down there. But this time with an encouragement, similar to what we see in our Joshua studies, I will deliver them into your hand. The victory is guaranteed. Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. That is all the men and David need to hear. God is guiding them. God is blessing them. God will win the battle for them. Keep that in mind because you look at verse 5 and it might seem small. Verse 5 has the men going with David to Keilah and they win a battle. Don't just read there that the men won a battle. Understand that what David has is a hugely underwhelming body of forces, many of whom likely were not trained as warriors. They were the discontented, they were the hurting people of Israel. It's an underwhelming body of forces that David is, body of men that David is working with here. They won the battle. We would describe it as an impossible battle to win. They win this impossible battle. Because God worked on their behalf. It's a small thing in the text, but with those things leading up to it from the first four verses, we see God's amazing, mighty hand on display once more. He is delivering his people. He is still working with his people. Saul dropped the ball, but God didn't. God doesn't once more trust God, not the princes of men. incredible outcome almost an unbelievable outcome but we know this happened so they win the battle and then Abiathar who we, who we met last week comes down to David now in chapter 22 we're told that he fled to David when Saul killed through, uh, through Doeg the Edomite killed all of those priests and all the whole town of, Do- uh, of Nob we read there that, um, that uh, Abiathar fled to David he escaped to David. Some people question as to, is this a double up? Is it another priest called Abiathar? What, what's going on here? What, what's happening here is this, it's not a textual error. It's simply giving us background of what David was doing while Saul had been killing the priests, as well as get, bringing everyone up to the same time frame within his narrative. So we're all on the same page here now. We're all caught up time-wise. 
That's the purpose of what we read there in verse 6. And it's also further encouragement for God's people. So we've just seen six verses so far. The six verses I think are incredibly awesome. They're incredibly revealing of what we're to do as well as God's sovereignty. That we're to go to him, that there is guidance to be found in the Lord. There is direction to be found with God. Those first six verses are just remarkably uplifting. But then, of course, Saul pops up in verse 7. Saul, who was unresponsive to the threat of the Philistines. Saul, who, by inference, what we know of how the kingdom operated, would have known that this was happening, had not responded to the threat of the Philistines in Keilah. But now, David has left his hiding. David has exposed himself. David has entered into a city, that, a town that Saul sees more as a trap because it's a town with bars and gates. He's trapped himself, he's easy pickings, and the king who did nothing now does something. The king who would not fight for what is right now fights what is wrong. He fights to murder a man for no other reason. Saul does now in verse 7 what he should have done in verse 1. He goes to Keilah, but his purpose, of course, is incredibly wrong. Instead of going to fight the Philistines, he he goes to fight the guy who's just saved some of his countrymen. Instead of fighting the Philistines who were attacking and stealing from his people, he goes to fight the man who saved his own subjects. This is insanity. It it, it does not make sense. So often we look at what Saul does and we try and rationalise it, but I don't think we can rationalise it here. Other than to say this is hatred coming through here. Hatred for the man who, loved, who God loved. Hatred for God expressing itself through this way. Saul is coming. David seems trapped. There's more than one close call in this chapter, isn't there? But once more in verses 11 to 13... David, this time with Abiathar, seeks further direction from God. He receives it. What seems to be a trap is reduced to a close call. Not comfortable. But it's not the end. David and his men successfully escape. Now, we don't know how David knew of Saul's plan. Presumably the intelligence network is in higher places than Saul might have liked. But David knew. And rather than just scatter, rather than just trust going back to that place where they'd hidden themselves and surely that will work again if we do what's worked before, David goes to God. He does not just fall into old habits. He doesn't just rely on habit. He goes to God. He seeks direction from God. And David, with his, what we're going to read later in this chapter, is now 600 men, they escape. They escape and Saul is left clutching as straws, realises his pursuit has to be halted. He finishes his expedition. Now let's pause there just for a moment at the end of verse 13. Consider carefully David's response because we can very easily say, yes, we know that's the right thing to do. 
I'm ashamed to say that I've said this. I know others who have said this. I'm too under the pump. I just need to figure this out. The implication is I don't have time to pray. I have to sort this out myself. If we consider we're too busy to pray, consider what David was facing. The Philistine threat, the king's armies, but he still had time to pray. He still had time to inquire of God. He sought counsel, he sought direction. This is a huge challenge for each one of us. It's a challenge for myself to do this and to keep doing this. Not just as a one-off, but we see David twice here go straight to God when he needs direction. When he has to make a decision, it's straight to God. That should be us. Now we should be encouraged to go to God. God heard. God answered. God gave direction. Now while God doesn't speak to us directly in those same verbal ways today, I mean, look at this. God is speaking to us through this. This is how God speaks to us today. Do we search his words carefully, daily? Do we pray that he might reveal to us how we are to live? Whether we're facing big decisions that threaten everything or small decisions that perhaps seem very mundane. Do we come to God? Do we know his word? We really have a wonderful model in David right here. Despite all the threats, despite all the danger, he models what we should do. We move on then into our second point, seeing the strength from God in verses 14 to 18. David flees. He has to. Saul was definitely going to come, God had told him. The men of the town were going to hand him over. And that's ambiguous as to whether that's a good thing or not. Maybe this town was just so far removed from the goings-on in, in the capital that they didn't really understand what was happening here. They're just being faithful to the king. Perhaps we need to read it with a, a charitable light to these people. What, whatever's going on here, we're not given any more detail than that. They were going to hand David over. So we pick up in verse 14, David is, is in the wilderness. Now perhaps we look at this and see this is an unfair situation because David's love for the people and his love for God had led to him acting in defence of his people and now once more it seems he has less than nothing he started the chapter off with. He's given up more because he acted faithfully. Hard tough places are where he and his men find themselves. Now Saul didn't know exactly where they were, but Saul sought him every day in the wilderness of Ziph. Daily hunted by the king. The, the, there's a change in the dynamic there where Saul had previously been waiting for word of David. Now he is actively pursuing him every day. There's an increased intensity from verse 14 on with Saul's pursuit of David. We, we, we should make note of that. 
don't think I'd be particularly happy if I was David at this point. But then we see Jonathan come onto the scene. Jonathan finds David. Now we know that God was protecting David, but what we don't know is how Jonathan did find David. What we aren't told here is the presumably many dangers that Jonathan had had to face to leave his father's camp to go and find David on his own. Remember Saul, just a few chapters back, has publicly shamed Jonathan? This the last chapter, has publicly shamed Jonathan for having a covenant with David. But here we see him once more facing his father's wrath to go and find his friend. It's an incredibly commendable thing that Jonathan does. Now put yourself back into David's shoes. You're hunted daily, not in that romantic light where you get to live in the wilderness and things are all easy breezy. This is a life-threatening situation every day. The smallest mistake could be his undoing. You're David, you're hunted daily. Your expression of faithfully serving God in going and fighting the Philistines at Keilah has left you in the barren places. I mean, you might be a little bit down. I probably would be a, a tad grumpy or at least up and down mood-wise at the very best. I know I haven't been, I'm paraphrasing Anna's words a little bit here to make myself sound better, I haven't been my usual bubbly, bright, brilliant self. Just dealing with a knee injury for the last few weeks. Anna didn't say all those wonderful things about me, but she meant it, I'm sure. But David's got less than that. Jonathan, against all odds, goes and finds David. Again, chapter 22, Saul's thrown a hissy fit, a public hissy fit where he's thrown his son under the bus. He doesn't care about me. He likes his friend more than me. But he still goes and finds David. And look what he does. He encourages him. And once more, Jonathan's humility is astounding. The crown prince says to the number one fugitive, you're going to be the next king and I'll be beside you. The crown prince says to the most wanted man, you're the next king and I will be beside you. And if my dad's being honest with himself, if Saul's being honest with himself, even he knows this. It's incredible. But what Jonathan does is remind David through this of the place that his strength comes from. He reminds David of the promise that God has made to him because David is the anointed next king. Jonathan is reminding David of God's promises. And maybe we've felt like this. Now, we're not told that David was down. We don't read that here. Perhaps that's projecting more than we should onto the text. But have you ever felt like this in these situations where, where things were just so completely against you? Where you feel as if there, there's no escape, there's nothing that could lighten the mood, there is no light at the end of the tunnel whatsoever. It is no hope. There is no hope here on earth is how we sometimes feel. That's not being, overst- I'm not overstating it I don't think. There are times where we genuinely feel like that because we face oppression. We face hardships and sometimes that's our response. And I'm sure you can remember that when things are so low that you've had those times, 
someone just reminds you, maybe even in passing, of God's goodness, of God's promises, of who God is and who we are in relation to God. The certainty of everything that God promises. The surety of everything he promises. Again, we don't read that David was down, but we do read that that Jonathan strengthened his, that is, David's hand in God through the things he said to him. Now, when we're down, we maybe turn to different things. Shopping sprees, if it doesn't blow your budget and leave you in the water, I mean, fine. Spare money if you need to. Exercise, great. We turn to these things for comfort, but we see here the greatest source of comfort, God's word, God's promises. And that is where David seems to find his strength going forward. It's not in himself, it's not in his woodsmanship, it's not in how crafty he is, it's God's promises are what strengthen his hand in God. Maybe we look around this morning and we see people who who look like they've got it all together. Maybe we haven't shared with the people around us what's weighing us down. We don't always know if the people around us are going through hardships, but share what we've read in devotions. Share those wonderful things that we've read of God. We don't know what an amazing impact that could have, how God could use that to build up the people around us, to encourage them, to strengthen the hands of those around us, maybe even here this morning in God. Share how God has kept his promises to you and how you trust that he will keep his promises in the future as we press on. David's hand was strengthened in the Lord in response to God's promises. I'd suggest it's entirely likely that you would be too. Now thirdly, we see provision from God. Verses 14 to 18, other than the the hint that Saul is now seeking David on a daily basis, has given an increasing the the intensity of the pursuit there, have given us something of a a relief against the threat of Saul in in this chapter so far. But Saul hasn't given up. And while he's searching, he does get word from the Ziphites. Now, they're only mentioned one other place in 1 Samuel, which is in chapter 26. Now, they're a, a tribe of Judah who are often linked to Caleb, uh, who uh, one of the spies along with Joshua who was faithful. That's just a little bit of background information, but I share that because, remember the tribe David was from? From Judah. We have Ziphites who are another family in Judah. It might be a little bit hard to be charitable to these guys I think we need to try to be charitable but maybe it's hard to be charitable to these guys who who come and dob in one of their own tribesmen to Saul it just reads odd and we're probably left with more questions than we can answer about it, we're just not given the, the detail in the text to come to any definitive conclusions but it just seems a bit odd within the text there they come these Ziphites, they tell Saul and look at Saul in verse 21. I mean, we saw in chapter 20, uh, 22, verse 6, that Saul is, is styling himself as a, a king holding court under a tree, holding his spear as a scepter. He's looking dignified. He's looking royal. 
He, he tries to keep up this appearance and chapter, verse 21 today does the same thing. This dignering posturing that he tries so hard to maintain comes out once more. He gives all the right responses. Blessed are you. You guys are great. I think we see hints of his, his neediness, of his hissy fit, maybe coming out here, for you have had compassion on me in verse 21. But otherwise, it's a, a largely dignified section of speech that he gives to, the, to these Ziphites. He sounds very spiritual. He sounds very upright in what he says there if we don't know any other context around it. So the Ziphites, they, they go out before Saul and Saul wants to know exactly where David is before he commits the troops. They go out before Saul, they go to the wilderness, they find all these hiding places. And this is where things really heat up. If we thought that earlier was a close call, this is where it gets intense. This is a far closer call for David. David's band of men, it sounds a bit like Robin Hood, doesn't it? David's men, his followers, they're, they're not far from Saul's army. They're separated from Saul's army by a mountain. And it seems to me that they're both travelling in the same direction along opposite sides of this mountain. At some point in time, there's going to be a mountain that runs out, isn't there? Saul's army, who have probably only heard that David is a traitor and think they're being faithful in doing the right thing here. Because remember... His guards wouldn't kill the priests in the last chapter. They knew that was too far. Presumably, if that attitude carries across here, they think that they are doing the right thing and being faithful to Saul. They're getting closer and closer to killing David. We read here that Saul's men were encircling David and his men. And again, there is less and less mountain to hide behind. You get to verse 26 and you get, it's over. We don't know why there's more chapters of this book, but it's over. It's done. David's finished. He's not going to be the next king. Jonathan was just trying to puff him up to keep him going. It's finished. But then verse 27. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Maybe we're going, is Saul actually going to respond? But the way this is phrased, they've invaded the land. This is more than just one town or one city under threat here. They've invaded the land, suggests a large invading force, one that Saul absolutely has to respond to, despite every desire in his heart, which the Ziphites had realised, was to catch and kill David. We need you to respond to this threat, Saul. We actually need your army to fight the Philistines this time. And it's a situation that Saul cannot ignore. And we hear the word, the phrase divine intervention in the news cycles, but this is divine intervention. God, God has provided safety for David once more. The provision from God is undeniable. Now once more, we need to see this in our lives too. 
Because the same God who provides for his servant David is the same it is God who is with us today. God who provides for his servants today. Perhaps we've experienced similar sorts of provision from God where it was the brink of ruin for us and then God provides. God didn't just act for the good of his people in the Old Testament. He continues to act for the good of his people today. I know I've shared this before, but when Anna and I were first married, the, uh, the church I was on staff at asked how much we needed to live each week. So we had an elder come around and he sat down with us and he thought of a whole heap of things that we didn't know adults did. And the budget ended up being a bit bigger than we thought. And it was presented to the session. And um, the, the session responded, we're actually a little bit short for those finances. We, we can't promise you everything you, you need. But what we can do is we can ask the congregation if at certain times that they can provide for you, we'd ask them to, to mark a gift for you and Anna. We can't remember the number of times we had a bill due and we had less than a dollar in the account sometimes, could not pay it, and that day we'd receive a gift. Now, we've all had those times, haven't we, where God has provided in wonderful ways, where God has been good, where God has been gracious, where God has shown he hasn't let go of you, where God has shown his undeniable love for you. God still works for his people. We see the ultimate salvation at the cross. And because of the price that was paid there, because that was finished, God continues to bless and provide for his people. Now, we're going to walk out those doors in a little bit. As we go out of those doors today, Reflect on that. Not reflect on going out the doors. Reflect on God's goodness. Reflect on God's provision. Reflect on the direction that God gives us. Reflect on the strength that we have in him and him alone. We are not sitting here today because of what we have done. We are not sitting here today because we drove safely enough to get here. We are sitting here today because God brought us here. We are here because God is still on his throne. His love for his children is not diminished. As we leave here today, be encouraged by that. Find strength in God because our strength will fail. Find guidance in him and in his word. And in everything we do, acknowledge his goodness and seek to reflect his mercies all the time. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for what we read here today, these tremendous evidences of your guidance for your people, of you strengthening us through your promises and your continued provision for us. We pray that we might remember this, that no matter how comfortable we are, no matter how uncomfortable we are, that we might remember you, that we might remember our need for you in all things. And that through our dependence upon you, we might shine your light to those who likewise need you but don't yet realise it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to stand and lift our voices in our final song.